Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie, Mickey. Terry Cashman talking baseball. And you know what's so interesting about this song? It's a great song. It's just a great beat to it. The lyrics are brilliant, but it really captures an incredible part of baseball here, uh, history. But you also hear about the nexus between baseball history and American history. And uh, I think that is something which is so unique to the game of baseball. There are other sports that have greater viewership. But certainly professional football does uh, on a worldwide basis. Soccer does. But I don't think there's any sport, maybe no recreational activity in general, that is so married to American history as baseball is. One of the people who's made it his business to chronicle every aspect of American history, including the significant portion that baseball has played in it is David Krell, and he's done it again. He is a terrific journalist, best-selling author, and a commentator, and his latest book is Do You Believe in Magic? Baseball and America in the Groundbreaking Year of 1966. David, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. So, a lot of great years in American history where a lot of stuff went on. We think of 1969, you got the moon landing, you got Woodstock, you got the beginning of the Nixon presidency, you got uh, the Mets winning the World Series, the Miracle Mets. Um, why did you pick, out of all the years that American history has existed, including the years in which baseball was involved, why did you pick 1966 to focus on? Well, it, it's very simple. I was looking around for a topic after the 1962 book was published, and we've talked about that, and 66 hadn't been done before. And I said, well, I, I can't really add something new to the to the topics that you mentioned, but 66 is kind of you know, overlooked. So I said, well, there, there's a lot that went on in baseball that year, but it was a, a great year for the country as well. One of the things that um, we talk a lot about on this program is the space program. We're having a, an astronaut on tomorrow, but we've talked a lot about the history of the space program as well. What was happening in terms of the space program in 1966? We hadn't yet reached the 
moon, but the Apollo missions were going very well and doing a lot of interesting things, stimulating a lot of people's imaginations. Remind folks of where we were as a country when it came to space travel at that point. Well, again, Project Gemini has been overlooked. Uh, We've seen the right stuff or read the book. That's about the Mercury program from the Earth to the Moon, that HBO miniseries from the late 90s that chronicled basically the Apollo project, which sent the guys to the moon. But the Gemini project was the project that had the two-man missions. Uh, They did a lot of experiments in space and and tried to find out how to to fly the the capsule and all these technical things that I know nothing about, but I'm a space buff nonetheless. Uh, And they were really integral because you had the one-man missions, the two-man missions, and then Apollo, the three-man missions, and I, I just I just wanted to mention those in the book because I wanted to remind people that this was a time when the country was more or less unified. Yes, we had the Vietnam War. Yes, you had protests. Yes, you had the same problems between Republicans and Democrats then that you have now. But the space program was something that everybody could get behind. You know, that's so interesting. It's a great point. Why do you think, because there's a lot happening now with the space program, you see what uh, Elon Musk is doing. Yeah. You see what Jeff Bezos is doing, Richard Branson, and what NASA is doing and what other countries are doing in terms right. of space exploration. And yet, both in this country and internationally, it seems like, and maybe this is just my perception, but it seems like there are just tremendous divisions and the space program is not serving as that unifying force that's making racial fault lines and political polarization lines melt away. Why do you think that, that the space program was so unifying to Americans in 1966, but even now that we're talking about going back to the moon, we got things happening with the Webb telescope, you don't really see that in 2023. How come? You're spot on. I I think the Cold War was the underlining factor that propelled the space program, especially in the 60s. And it was ubiquitous in pop culture. I Dream of Jeannie had an astronaut as the main character or the the co-lead with Barbara Eden. Uh, Larry Hagman played uh, Captain, later Major Nelson. Uh, You had futuristic shows like Lost in Space and Star Trek. I know you've spoken with William Shatner, who's a hero of mine as well as yours. So there was something in the air. And because of the Cold War, we needed to beat the Russians to the moon. And that was a big reason Mm. why you had these huge headlines, why uh, you had breaking news when the Gemini capsule for a mission plopped down, splashed down in the ocean, uh, kids coming home from school, uh, uh, teachers bringing the TV sets into the classrooms so they could watch a launch. This is something that everybody was talking about, and we're so fragmented now as a nation, it's kind of difficult to have that excitement over a national project. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid you're right. All right, you've got the uh, Orioles on the cover of the book. Right. I know they played the Dodgers in the World Series that year. What was so special about that that Orioles team? We got a lot of listeners on WCBM in in Baltimore right. and uh, a lot of Orioles fans listening to us right now. What was so magical about that Orioles team in that particular World Series? Well, the Orioles were younger. 
the Dodgers were a national brand. When they were in Brooklyn, they were a national brand by going to the World Series all those years in the 50s and twice in the 40s, or no, three times uh, at least in the 40s. And then you had uh, them, them move to L.A. and because of pop culture, because they were on the Munsters or uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, things like that, they were reinforced as a national brand in L.A. And the Orioles were uh, just uh, – they. they they had a great year in 64. 66, they clinch in the middle of September, I think about the third week or so. And the Dodgers just took till the end of the season. So for the Orioles to upset the Dodgers, and it wasn't by a great amount. I mean, these were low-scoring games. Mm. But uh, to defeat the vaunted Dodgers, these, these amazing uh, pitchers like Drysdale and Koufax, was a, a, an achievement. Now, if you talk to Dodgers fans, they'll tell you, well, my guys were tired. They took to the end of the, end of the season. They were in a three-way pennant race in September. So by the time they got to the World Series, they were exhausted. Nonetheless, I, to, to lose to a, a much younger team, not as seasoned as the Dodgers, was, was still a big story. Uh, who were some of the characters on that uh, Orioles team that uh, that folks may know, or even some that they may not be familiar with? Well, Jim Palmer mm. was, was at the beginning of his career. Uh, he was a tremendous force for the Orioles. And there's a, a guy I write about in the book, Mo Drabowski. Uh, Mo was a journeyman pitcher. He was a prankster. He was a clubhouse guy. He would put goldfish in the opposing team's water coolers. It, later, in a later World Series, he gave a hot foot to Commissioner Bowie Kuhn. This was just a fun-loving guy, and uh, as I say, he was a journeyman pitcher who uh, did, never really found his footing. And then in Baltimore, they became uh, they became a younger team. As I said, he was a bit of a veteran, but they changed him into being a relief pitcher. And the reason that's important is because in Game One of the World Series, he comes in early in the game and strikes out a record number of batters in a World Series game for a relief pitcher. And there's a story that goes with that in the book where uh, seven years to the date before that game, there was a death in his family. And I chronicle that in the book. There's a poem about it at the end. And if you believe in angels, if you believe in heaven, if you believe in the supernatural, that will be reinforced by this story. If you don't, I'm hoping it will nudge you towards the line. And as I heard the story from his family, I kept thinking about Brad Pitt in uh, in Moneyball, where he says, who says you can't be romantic about baseball? Right, absolutely. Uh, talking with David Krell, his new book, Do You Believe in Magic? Yeah. Baseball and America in the Groundbreaking Year of 1966. Uh, by the way, David, do you have a preferred way that people get a hold of this book, Amazon or your website, any place that you direct them? I think I think if you go on Amazon, it'll get to you quicker than uh, any other source. Okay. Um, there's a lot of talk about the Supreme Court these days, right. and we know what a factor the Supreme Court can be in dividing the country or uh, advancing certain civil rights, setting other civil rights back. 1966 was actually a huge year for the Supreme Court. Why was that? The Miranda decision. Mm. The Miranda decision that anybody who watched a cop show after the age of eight, after 1966, can recite the Miranda ruling. Uh, it, It was in every police program when there's an arrest. 
So this was important that people, when they're arrested, can know their rights. And it was a, it, it was a huge, uh, huge turning point for the country, huge turning point for criminal defense lawyers, huge turning point for police. And if you watch, uh, someone had mentioned this on, uh, on a comment regarding the Shawshank Redemption. If you watch the end of that movie, it, I think it takes place in 1966. And when they arrest the prison guard, the cop is reading off a card because they didn't know the Miranda warnings by mm. heart. This was a relatively new ruling. So they had to make sure that they got that wording correctly. Of course, now police officers understand this at the academy and they, they might have a card if the person only speaks Spanish or another language, but uh, police officers recite this by rote, they they just know it. Well, so that's so interesting. The the, the Miranda warning, which obviously I think even a lot of the viewers and listeners know uh, from watching police dramas over the years. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. If you right. can't afford an attorney, one will be provi- uh, provided for you. That was so new to police officers mm. that they had it written down to yeah. read because that Supreme Court decision. How uh, how closely divided was the court on that decision, David? Gosh, I'd have to go back and do the research, but what one one thing I want to mention also about court systems, if I can, for a minute. Uh, you mentioned the Supreme Court. Judge Jackson, either during her testimony or an interview, she mentioned a woman who's in the book, uh, Constance Baker Motley. Ah. And Constance Baker Motley could have been a Supreme Court justice herself, but was never appointed. She is the first black woman to be on the federal bench. And she figures prominently in two baseball cases, one involving a sports writer, a female sports writer, who was barred from the clubhouse at Yankee Stadium. And when the case went before Judge Motley, she said, look, you can bar all of the reporters, but you can't bar a subset. You can't just bar the women. So you're going to have to figure this out. You, you, a woman has to be able to get sources, to build a rapport, just like a man. They're reporters. They're all the same. So either ban them all and figure out some other way t- that they can get their information, or you have to find a way to include them. You know, it's uh, that's so interesting. I knew a lot about Judge uh, Constance Baker Motley, uh, but I did not know about that aspect of her career. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. Now, um, in terms of the uh, popular culture at the time, in 1966, the reading world had been rocked by a book that's still widely read and some somewhat controversial in some quarters today, Valley, Valley of the Dolls. Why was Valley of the Dolls such a big deal in America in 1966? Because it covered taboo subjects in a best-selling novel that was – those subjects would be covered maybe in pulp novels, right? So-called dirty books. Right. Uh, she gives heft. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. She gives dimension 
she gives empathy and pathos and compassion to these characters. By the end of the of the book, I really felt for the character of Anne. And I'm reading this, and I'm awed. This is when I'm doing the research in the early 2020s. I can only imagine what it was like in 1966, and I talk about that aspect of it. Uh, Jacqueline Suzanne writes about sex and body image and drug addiction, and Dolls, to some people's uh, probably surprise, uh, does not refer to women. It refers to pills. Drugs form a big part of this story and how people can get sucked into addiction. And to have these taboo subjects, uh, lesbianism, body image, uh, uh, adultery, things that really weren't talked about uh, on a mainstream level, not not to this degree, certainly not in a best-selling novel, Uh, this was a real turning point. And it wasn't for titillation factors. It wasn't for to be salacious. She just wanted to write a story about people she knew or had heard of. You know, she was in show business herself. And she created this story. I understand that the movie did not cover the book. You know, it, it deviated somewhat. Um, and I think it's, uh, from what I'm told, it was really part of maybe the camp category, a parody, Uh, that's far from the book. The book is very serious. It's very serious. And I I think it's a great beach read. I recommend it. Mm. And it's as prevalent now, it's as prominent now with the topics in in 2023 as it was in 1966. Uh, Talking with David Crowell, his book is Do You Believe in Magic? You alluded to the drug culture in America in 1960s. What was going on in terms of drugs in 1966 in the United States? Well, as far as I could tell, Frank, you know, it, it wasn't talked about. It was, you know, marijuana was really, now it's legal. Uh, and, and that would have been like science fiction in right, 1966. Right. Um, people saw it as a scourge, and it was. But certainly you didn't have, the, you didn't have celebrities going to rehab and then publicizing it for example. Uh, Now, if a a celebrity goes to rehab, the celebrity writes a tell-all about it. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, maybe if somebody who has a drug problem sees a celebrity uh, going to rehab, that will make that person say, oh, I can conquer this too. Back then, that that was absolutely unheard of. No, that, that is absolutely for sure. How about in terms of pop culture? What were people watching on television? What were people seeing in the oh. in the theaters? Well, Batman for for one. Batman, mean, Batman and Robin, was, the Adam uh, West and Burt Ward. Uh, Adam West is the definitive Batman. I mean, come on, let's get that straight. For baby boomers and Generation Xers like myself who saw Batman in reruns, uh, Adam West is still prominent. Uh, that show skyrocketed to popularity, and of course, it inspired a slew of superhero takeoffs. And then you had the spy culture. You had the Man from Uncle. You had I Spy. Uh, space we mentioned. Star Trek was huge. Mission Impossible premiered along with Star Trek in 1966. So you you had a, a lot of things that were in real life, but then represented in the culture as well, represented in TV and movies. So it, it was a time when you, you knew what was going on. People were unified as a nation. And when I look around at what's going on now, it, it, it's just the, all this sniping. I, right before we went on, I, I saw that Patti LuPone is 
criticizing uh, Kim Kardashian for being uh, for having a role in American Horror Story because she has no acting experience. <laughs> well, you know who else had no acting experience? Lee Merriweather, who played Catwoman in the Batman movie. Liberace, who played a villain in the Batman movie. Frank Sinatra was a singer before he became an actor. Howard Cosell played himself on two episodes of The Odd Couple. Pamela Anderson was on Baywatch. She was a model. She was a model who was discovered at a football game. And she became a a member of the cast of one of the biggest syndicated shows of all time. So you didn't have this sniping. I can't imagine an actor in 1966 sniping at at somebody just because a producer made a business decision. And there's too much money on the line for something like that to to take place and say, oh, it's just stunt casting. Right. You have to do your job. I mean, I I also think that you didn't have the uh, the megaphone of social media no. that would allow every angry critic to essentially be viewed on people's phones or computer screens the same way as the uh, the, the front page of the New York Times. So that, that's, that's certainly a, a different great, factor. Uh, Frank, that's a great point. I mean, there were critics of the space program uh, who, who said, well, why are we putting this money in going into space? Why, we should be putting it into social programs. You would have uh, liberal Congress people uh, congressmen and congresswomen uh, tweeting that with millions of followers. And you might have protests about the space program if social media existed back then. And it, there's just so much sniping, there's so much judgment, the cancel culture, which is another story that we could talk about sometime. I, there, sometimes you, you, it is like time travel when you go back and you go to databases and you go to microfilm and you look at the front page in 1966. Yes, take any day and you have basically this similar problems, but not this sniping and, you know, people getting kicked out of restaurants because they vote for a certain person. Uh, the, the culture we live in is really, really difficult right now. Well, it's a terrific book. I highly recommend it. The author is David Krell, and uh, the book is a, a wonderful look at Americana and American history. Do you believe in magic? Baseball and America in the groundbreaking year of 1966. Thank you, David. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.